It's hard to think of something more seemingly simple than food. We all need it. We know to some degree where to get it and what it does for us, but there's so much more to learn and to challenge once you start peeling back the layers. Welcome to Disrupting the Status Bro, the podcast about doing things differently. I'm your host, Katie McBratney, and this episode, we're talking about food. More specifically, the systems of food, how we learn about it, how we access it, and how we advocate for it. So I went straight to a recognized leader in the food sovereignty movement, Wande Okunoran Meadows, co-founder and executive director of the Atlanta area nonprofit Hand, Heart, and Soul Project. She's a 2022 Good Trouble alumna honoree and founding governance committee member of the Big Green Dow, who's advised for the White House Conference on Hunger, Nutrition, and Health. All that to say, she knows way more than me about disrupting the status bro of food systems. In our conversation, Wande explains what food sovereignty means, and we talk about how everything is tied to land and power. We also touch on the difference between consumer self-care and real wellness, the bullshit that our mission statements, the importance of local nonprofits, and how a healthy bit of chaos can be essential for anyone trying to disrupt the status bro. Say your name and pronouns, and then tell us a little bit about yourself. My name is Wande Okunoran Meadows. My pronouns are she and hers, and I have three crumb snatchers. Um, they are not kids. Kids are good, loving creatures, but my kids really don't even like me anymore, so... We're down to just crumb snatchers now, three of them. I know you through Hand, Heart, and Soul Project. That's how I first got introduced to you. And I would say you are one of the ultimate multi-hyphenates in in so many ways, right? So many people introduce themselves by what they do for a living, what they do for work. And I feel like you are such an example of someone whose work is so infused with their life and vice versa. You're authentically you in every space you show up. Tell us a bit about what you do during the day and obsess about at night. A lot of it has to do with the dope team that we have. And one of the things that the team told me is, Lonnie, please don't bring us into your chaos. Like, please don't. I have this planner, this pink book that is a planner. And they're like, we have to get you, like, why does your why does day one, like, why do all five days look like scribble scrabble on them all five of your days? I'm like, this is it. And Damon was like, please don't bring us into your chaos. But honestly, sometimes it takes chaos to bring about a sense of peace and calmness. And I don't think that I could work in a situation where there was just one thing to do. Um, because I honestly think the real world, there are multi different layers happening and levers happening that makes the thing go. Um, a lot of my work, our work is based in food, policy, legislators, listening, listening to more people, working with parents, uh, working with children. And those are oftentimes the people that get left out. Mom and I started Little Ones Learning Center back in 1994, 1995. almost 30 years ago. And um, when the pandemic hit, we were like, oh, like we really need to take the nonprofit and amplify it. 
Um, and because it was always embarrassing when people said, oh my gosh, like Little Ones Learning Center, this is, it's so wonderful. It's so, that's nothing to be proud of if it's only like our families that are benefiting here in the county. Like it really has to be a situation where the county and others are benefiting from the so-called um, investments that many, many, many dozens and probably hundreds of others have poured into our school. Um, and so that was really, really key for us to form a nonprofit where we could get support so that other people and other families and um, community members could benefit. So started Hand Heart Soul Project in 2020 and it's, um, it's, it's scooting, scooting a little bit. It's, it's making impact. It's doing the thing. It's doing the thing. And as an on the ground organization, that stands out to me in how the Hand, Heart, and Soul Project's work actually plays out. But for those who don't know, in, in broad strokes, what is the focus of the organization? Um, so in three broad strokes, in three buckets, we provide so I like to talk about what it is we do versus our mission statement. Mission statements. Can I curse on here or no? Yes, I can. You can. Okay. Mission statements are bullshit. Um, <laughs> mission statements. Like what is a mission statement? I don't even know what those are, but so let's talk about what it is we do. Yes. Um, we provide children and families access to nutrient dense foods. Um, the second thing that we do in a broad bucket is we develop um holistic programs focus on health, wellness, nutrition, and education. And the third thing that we do, that's probably one of my most favorite things because it pushes the other things forward is we, um, we advocate and work with uh, voices that have historically been minoritized and marginalized and make sure that those voices are brought to places where decisions are made to elevate their story. You know, we're at a time where most people have some kind of food language that they're familiar with. A lot of times it's nutrition-based or types of diets or labels like organic and maybe maybe some terms like food security or insecurity, uh, you know, local farming, et cetera. And yet the term food sovereignty is still fairly recent and unfortunately not as well known. Mm-hmm. What in your words is food sovereignty and why is it important to focus on that? instead of terms like food insecurity or a phrase that I know both you and I hate, food deserts. Yeah, yeah. Um, I feel like food sovereignty, it it incorporates a level of justice into that work. Um, Food security and food insecurity, it's just very, to me, it's very extractive and it focuses on like a business practice. Um, It's like, we're just going to get a community their food and not worry about how we get the people their food. Um, so it takes out the local landscape. It doesn't take an account to, um, so if you're thinking about food security, it is, you know, this community needs food. How do we get it to them? No matter what food sovereignty looks into the different levels of, um, practices that go into it. So, you know, how are the workers being treated that, manufacture the food um you know are they working 18 hours a day uh you know are they being treated well are they being paid well um 
so you know the land practices so it goes from even even the work even the part about going from sustainability to regenerative land practices so can we continue to grow our food on the land so i think it's just a little bit more of intentionality that's taken into account than just food security which is like more of a corporate business mindset and they're both systems in a way to your point one is is considerably more intentional versus extractive and that makes sense that the three pillars of the work that you do with Hand, Heart, and Soul Project are what they are, not only addressing access to food or education or policy, but weaving them together. And what I hear, and correct me if I'm wrong, is a more systemic approach and an intentional approach to something that has systemically caused harm. Yes, absolutely. And, and disproportionately caused harm to black and brown people. Um, you know, we have Juneteenth that's coming right around the corner. And for some, it's a holiday and we have marketers and retailers that make a sale out of everything. But for, you know, for some, it's again, it's tied to land. Everything is tied to land and power and um, the blood. And we think about who has benefited and who has not benefited from those practices. Mm-hmm. Mm. Something that that stands out to me as a thread through through the guests of this first season is how part of challenging business as usual means pushing back on this idea of chasing endless growth and scale. Mm-hmm. And I see that in, in your work and in your leadership by being very intentional about, about focusing the resources of the organization specifically on the Clayton County area, which for those of you outside of Atlanta, is part of the Atlanta metro area. It's a very deliberate and intentional choice of yours to focus there instead of rippling out to all of Atlanta, all of Georgia, or even nationally. Why is that? Why is it so important for you to to serve Clayton County first and foremost? Well, so I think it's great for organizations that can be... um, serve multiple zip codes, can be regional, can be national. That is just not what our focus is. We cannot, we're just not there yet. Will we be later? Maybe, I don't know, but we got to solve the problems in one area. And I mean, I want, I want somebody to put hand, heart and soul out of business in Clayton County. So when that gets almost close, then we can branch out. But as long as somebody cannot say that, well, we put hand, heart and soul at, you know, we gave them room for their money and there's just no reason for us to, to branch out. Um, that gets into this, again, these systems of feeling that we got to go bigger, faster, quicker, larger. I mean, for what? Like there's so, we got obesity rates large here. Like Clayton County is the, um, is the least well off out of all of the Metro Atlanta counties. So for me, it doesn't make sense for us to try to expand as long as Clayton County continues to be the least well-off Metro Atlanta County. Um, and you know, one of our mottos is we're going to do for one what we would do for many. So if it's two, if it's three, we're going to show up for those two or three. Is it costly? Yeah, but it's going to be costly for us to scale large and wide and we're not making those touch points we're not being intentional and we're not building those relationships that are needed so people do business with people they know like and trust so it's very important for us the people that we come into contact with that they know that they 
are felt, they are, or that they're heard, and that we are building um, very intentional relationships with um, the communities that we're coming in contact with. So let's dig into those three pillars a little bit more. Um, when you talk about access to nutrient and dense foods, one of the flagship, I think, programs that Hand Heart and Soul Project is known for are the gardens. And we're going to talk about the other two pillars because it's not just the gardens. But when it comes to to, nu- to access to nutrient dense foods, tell us a little bit about the gardens and then also the farm stands and how you work with farmers. Yeah, the gardens. That's just like that's just like a no brainer. That's easy peasy stuff. Um, what y'all did not see because this is audio only is the grin that just lit up on your face right now. <laughs> like a light bulb went off when it was like the gardens, the children, the community. Yeah, like I think we are just sleeping on that. Um, so we saw that in during COVID, um, a lot of people, probably adults had more trouble dealing with COVID than the youngest kids. You know, we were sending kids out to the garden to play outdoor nature. You know, kids were getting the garden educator at one of our sites was making um, concoctions, shots out of things that were in the, the garden. They were getting their immune systems boosted easily. And kids are so open. Their palates are just so open to those new experiences, but it's us as adults that, you know, stifles their creativity, their love of just trying new things. So for me, the garden not only offers um, places for their food, for them to grow food, but also just offers an opportunity for them to become one with nature. Um, Absolutely offers them an opportunity to um, get off of those electronical, those electronic devices that are absolutely stifling their creativity and not allowing them to explore. Um, it also offers them a chance to see, goodness gracious, how their food grows and for them to um, be more connected with that process. So are we trying to grow farmers? Absolutely not. Are we hoping that they um, have a connection with the earth? with the environment, for them to love the air and to have a respect for the air just as much as they love their tennis shoes and their name brand clothes? Absolutely. So there's just so many things. Community is how, this is how community is built. Um, and then for them to love to, you know, want to show their mom and their dad and their, you know, aunts and uncles how the food ends up at, at the farm stands, it's just beautiful. Um, kids want to eat what they grow and they're able to see the process that it happens. So it's not necessarily about, you know, only having organic food or whatever it is, but um, it's just the process. They become more in tune with their inner feelings. They don't want to kill like that song, you know, I'm squishing up a baby bumble. They do not sing that song. Like that song every time it gets me. I'm just yes. like, why? Why? Yes. I'm why really mad at you child. If you decide to just squish a bee. A bee? Yes. yes. We need that bee. We absolutely do. So none of the programs, we're not, we're not singing that song. They don't squish ants. They're not stepping on ants, but you actually see how they are. Um, they're social, emotional. They become more empathetic and they love to see worms. They understand the, the importance of worms. Like all of these things happen in a garden and they it helps their friendship skills. There's so many things that happen. And these gardens aren't located at the Hand, Heart, and Soul Project offices. These are on site at the Early Childhood Education Centers. And how many do you have? Yeah, so right now we have right now? eight. Right now we have eight learning centers, early childcare centers, and we work with we partner with um, a middle school that has plots. We also have plots at the Jonesboro um, Garden in the city of Jonesboro. 
and we're hoping to get more. Amazing. Okay. Let's talk a bit about um, holistic wellness education because as everyone knows, you can just pick up Instagram and there's so many people spouting what holistic is and what wellness is. And so much of it is snake oil and a bunch (laughs) of wannabe influencers peddling something, right? But when you're talking about holistic wellness and educating a community across generations and as a community about wellness across the board, what does that mean to you? And, and, and how, how do you make that happen? Knowing that it's a lot. Yeah. Um, so I think it starts a lot with self first. Um, I think a lot of talk that I hear sometimes of, you know, do self-care, like go out and get your nails done. You know, that shit isn't self-care. Like you still got to spend money. That's a marketer telling you to go spend money so they they can enrich their own bottom lines. That is not self-care. And then you got to find somebody to watch your kid to go get your nails done. So there's just so many layers of like self-care. Like how is that self-care? You still got to find somebody to watch your kids. So um, for us, self-care really does start, um, within. So if we, if we say we're going to do a self-care activity, we try to do the whole um, wraparound type of activity. Like we had a self-care uh, workshop last year at one of our sites and we invited the women and the, the, the partners of the women to come in. And so we had dads that were saying, oh my God, like my girlfriend doesn't want a vacuum cleaner that doesn't that's not what she wants for a gift no dude she does not like but there there were people that really thought that 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 was what made her happy like to do her household chores better like so um just having those conversations so that was a light bulb moment i was like oh gosh like we need to do more of these um so self-care for us is and maybe we we should do more events for the dads but right now we really are focusing on women because they are the caretakers they're the nurturers we will continue to say yes give us more work uh we will put more on our back unfortunately um but it really is just taking care of our mental well-being um our emotional well-being we had a situation at one of our sites um, which has made the news for the last few days um unfortunately um it's, it's a tragic situation that's happening right now. Um, and so the, the teachers are really trying to grapple with how to deal with that. So on top of being in traumatic situations, you have these teachers that are also feeling this trauma and are having to come to work every day and not having an outlet on getting help and therapy for themselves. So it's like trauma, based trauma on top of trauma. So where do you, where do you go? How do you, how do you release all of that? Um, so those are the kind of different layers of. It's not just what we put in our bodies. It's how we tend to our minds and our souls and each other. Absolutely. And money cannot solve that. Just put that on a t-shirt. Yes. It can't. The third area, and you mentioned, you know, the trips to DC. I know you're frequently at you know, the state capitol here in Atlanta, advocating, working with policymakers, but also breaking bread with them at local events in Clayton County. It is more common than uncommon to see legislatures there. 
um, which is which is so critical to to that pillar of your work. And you're also doing some things that I think might surprise some folks, including working with the Big Green Dow. So oh, I think yeah. that there's this and so that's another pattern that I see with people disrupting the status quo. It's one not following scale above all else just to do it. And then another th- theme is this this imaginative innovation of of why not this, but also being very intentional. It's intentional innovation. And so I'd love to hear a bit about how you're working with the big green Dow because I think it might surprise some folks that, you know, you've got these gardens at early child care centers, you are working on policy at the capital level, you are doing community education and outreach on the regular. And then also, there you are on the internet, making some making some big waves with people really interested in, in not just a movement, but in systemic change and, and allocating resources appropriately. Tell us a bit about that. Yeah, so the Big Green Dow was absolutely a surprise. Um, and when I was informed that um, they were interested in working with us, I was I was like, "Does does he know I'm black?" First of all, like, are you are you sure? Like, does he does he know I'm black? Like, y'all need to check, make sure. Don't be doing any sneak attacks first. And so. For those that don't know, uh, the so for those that don't know, the founder of the Big Green Dow is Kimball Musk. He is the brother of Elon Musk, and so um, he he, I got a call that he was um, interested in uh, learning more about our work, and I was like, oh my gosh, like that's so dope! But I just want to make sure he knows I'm black. Like, let's make sure he knows I'm black. Um, and so he's really, really, he was, it was awesome for him to ha- come out here. Clayton County spent a, a, a significant amount of time here. It was not like a in and out Photoshop opportunity. Absolutely did not feel that. Absolutely felt connected with him as soon as he came out here with my mom, spent time with the staff, all of that. And um, when he came, he said to me, he said, um, Wandy, we're, we're going to do some big things together. And so when he said that in my mind, I heard wonk, 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 like the, like the Snoopy or whoever, whoever said Charlie Brown or whoever says that, because, you know, I hear, I hear a lot of people say, we're going to do great things together. There's no follow-up. There's no whatever. So I was like, oh, and so two weeks later, when I got the call, it was, you know, inviting me to participate on, um, on his committee. And I was like, wait a minute, like SpaceX, Tesla, like, that that be sure and so it wasn't that i thought i wasn't worthy of it that was never it but it was because in a in a system where people have money our center our school clayton county a black woman has always been at the receiving end we've always been at the um the beck and call of others always had the least everything and so it was it was a surprise. I have to admit, it was a surprise. Um, but it has been like turned out to be like one of the most rewarding and fulfilling experiences. We've learned and grown, and um, you know, I have to admit, when we're together every three months, even though he is extremely wealthy, a millionaire, billionaire, whatever he is, he does not. It, it doesn't feel like that. And so, what the Big Green Dow is, it's all about putting nonprofits in the driver's seat. So 
it is a beautiful thing when we are able to override his decisions um, because it's not about power. It is about front line grassroots having decision-making power with decisions that affect them. So um, if I know of a nonprofit or anybody on the committee, there's five, five of us now, um, that knows of a nonprofit that's doing amazing work, any of us are able to elevate them and put them before uh, the rest of the community members and they're able to be voted on. That is the difference between standard nonprofit and this DAO. They're voted on by a community of um, fellow community, community members. That authenticity and that honesty and being able to directly speak truth and sometimes speaking truth to power reminds me of a of a report that you linked me to ages ago and reminded me of the other day from the Center for Civic Innovation in Atlanta. Mm. And that is about the inequities that happen and have historically happened in the philanthropic world. And what you're saying about the difference being nonprofits are in the driver's seat, that alone from this DAO is one difference. And also, to me, it, it speaks of the bigger issue of the fact that not all nonprofits and certainly not all nonprofit leaders are treated equally. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah. So I know we like to think philanthropy is all... Um, well-meaning and they want everybody to win philanthropy is not well-meaning and it does not want everyone to win that's just the truth of it is it is designed by design it is meant for some people to fail otherwise you would not have some nonprofits that go out of business um and that fail regularly um we see that by the way that people that the way money is distributed um, you know, when this whole Black Lives Matter movement was going on and, um, you know, even during COVID, we saw that in the ways that funding was distributed to Black-led nonprofits, white-led nonprofits. You know, there were some organizations that would give a, a white-led nonprofit X amount of dollars and then they turn around and give a, a Black-led nonprofit 1% of that. So we could sit up here and argue about well, you know, these other organizations, they've been in existence for longer and this and that. There's a whole shitload of excuses people give. The reality is a lot of times we are not trusted with money. We are not, black women are not trusted to lead and we are doubted for many, many reasons. There are hurdles, obstacles, so many things that are put before us and we are set up for failure, period. So when I hear somebody say, uh, well, you know, we do trust your leadership or we do trust the work you're doing well, why are you giving me a restricted grant? You just gave my peer over here, you know, 80 times more funding and operational funding, but you're giving me this much money in restricted funding to do a programmatic cause. So you want me to do this garden work, but you don't want to pay for the person to do this garden work. How the hell do you want that to happen? who's, Who's going to do the work? How, how am I going to pay the staff? So, I mean, that's just one example of many. Yeah. 
Yeah. So with that, you know, I think a lot of people, a lot of individuals who don't work in the nonprofit world, they care about the causes. They want their dollars. They want their time. They want their energy to make an impact, but they don't necessarily, they aren't as aware of these issues within the ecosystem, which like all ecosystem, the, you know, the tech ecosystem, the entertainment industry, like they all have their problems. Nothing is, is perfect. What can people, what can individuals do to support the nonprofits and the organizations and really help disrupt the inequities of philanthropy without having to, you know, what are some practical things that an average person can do to make sure that they're not perpetuating or at least at the, at the, you know, at the, at the minimum and at best they're helping to counter this inequity that is very real and measured. Yeah, um, that's a great question. So I would say um, one of the things that people can do, like by and large, I, I would say that most nonprofits or many nonprofits mean well, but unfortunately, some nonprofits unintentionally or intentionally cause harm to their peers. Um, so I guess I would say, you know, do audits or not, not like financial audits, but check in with the executive director. Um, you know, what kind of relationship does she have with her staff? Does she feel supported by her, um, her leadership team, by the, by the board of directors? Like what, what does that look like? Do they even have a board? Um, you know, volunteering to be a board member. I think that's one of the biggest things that, um, the difference between community-based organizations and these larger nonprofits. So when I see people that say, oh, you know, I only want to join the board of XYZ corporate nonprofit. Well, you're just helping that corporate nonprofit become more corporate and more lucrative and forgetting about these community-based organizations that are actually in the community doing the work. Because what happens is these large nonprofits will sometimes partner with these community-based organizations and partner with them in a way that is not um, equitable as far as funding. And these smaller nonprofits sometimes don't have a choice about how to control the contract in the funding structure. So they just take whatever money that they can get. And, you know, it, it just becomes, it's a, it's a, un, it's not a good power structure dynamic. So um, divert resources in another way. It's all about intentionality, isn't it? As we wrap up, what are some things that any any person, especially in Atlanta, but if you're listening outside, anyone can do to support grassroots and community-based organizations, especially around food sovereignty? What are some things that people can do? Um, buy local, absolutely, because your local um, farmers that $1 that you are spending with them is going to go a whole lot further than um, your big box mass um, chains. Um, there's a place for everybody in this food movement. I'm not knocking big box stores or um, growers at all, um, but we do absolutely need to make sure that our quote unquote mom and pop local growers um, are, are supported and we're not importing from out of state. Um, the other thing that we can do is, um, uh, what are some other things that we can do? 
just talking to your local, like your, your politicians and your legislators, if you're coming in contact with them, I don't know how realistic that is for people, but um, maybe because I'm always around them. So it's a little bit easier for me to, to do that, to advocate, but um, yeah, just buying local, like I'm okay with paying an extra 50 cents or a dollar for those eggs that don't have those um, chemicals in them versus going to another store and getting them cheaper. So those are some tangible ways that I try to support mm-hmm. um, local places. One with your representatives, I mean, you're on a first name basis with so many of them, but so many folks could even start by maybe even finding out who their local representatives are. We, I feel like everybody tends to know the governor or their, their state senator, uh, you know, in the U.S. Senate, but they don't, they don't know who their city council representative is or, you know, fill in the blank of another local decision maker. These are the people making policies, as you mentioned, that, that are going to be not just allocating funds, but setting a precedent for who and what gets resourced and gets, to your point, the attention. Who even gets the attention to even be considered in the first place? Absolutely. And and that just reminded me of something else. I mean, there's some really big, there's big bills and legislations that's getting ready to drop. Like the farm bill, it's a misnomer because we think it's only about like the farmers. But if you eat, the farm bill is for everyone. It affects everybody. So, um, you know, there's a thing called SNAP, which helps um, people that ha- uh, can, it helps those of us that have certain economic um in certain economic brackets get assistance and subsidies from the government. Like let's not put shame around using EBT. Like it's just another form of currency. That's what Sidrina of Sage D consulting always says, like, let's not put shame around that. Um, but we, we need that. That's also how we make sure that, um, that everyone has access to different types of food, no matter you know, where it comes from. So just knowing about these big pieces of bills and things that are, that are coming down and being knowledgeable about them. It's such a good point. It affects all of us. When we talk about food, when we talk about our environment, when we talk about policy, it affects us. Mm -hmm. The degree of directness is relative. We're all in this together. Absolutely. I love that. We're going to link to so many things in the show notes, including the farm bill, how to find out more about Hand, Heart, and Soul Project and all of their incredible work, as well as that um, report that I mentioned and anything else that Wanda thinks might be helpful because she is a font of of resources. And I'm going to leave by reminding you, this is something you wrote wrote to me when I reached out to you about uh, being on the podcast. And you said, food is the most basic healing of all things, of our bodies, and connects us to the world, the environments, and the economy. Which sounds like a simple sentence, but it blew my mind in how powerful that statement is and how true for every person and creature on this planet, and we don't think about it. It's true. So I want to thank you for sharing that, for sharing your work, and for for challenging things the way that you are, for for really disrupting the status quo and looking at how how food is a vehicle to make the world the place we need it to be. Thank you so much. Thank you, Katie. Thank you, thank you, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Anything else you want to shout out? There's no such thing as a shameless plug. Anything else you wanted to mention while we've got folks on the speaker? Just support community-based organizations. I mean, of course, yeah, check out Hand, Heart, and Soul Project, but more importantly, aside from that, 
Um, I can't tell you the importance of supporting local organizations. Um, we need your support. We need your support. And when I say local, I mean like local, local organizations. Thank That's you it. so much. Okay. Keep doing the work. We need you. And keep taking care of you. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. you guys. It's this huge system with its own inequities, innovations, and impact. So go hit up your local farmer's market this weekend. Look up your city council member. Plant some seeds with your kids. A huge thank you to Wanda Okanor Meadows for sharing her wisdom, passion, and practical ways we can all challenge the business as usual of food, wellness, and access wherever we might be. You'll find lots of links in the show notes, including one to Wanda's nonprofit, Hand Heart and Soul Project, the Farm Bill, Big Green Dow, and that report on inequities in philanthropy that we talked about. Still want more? Be sure to subscribe to Disrupting the Status Bro wherever you get your podcasts for our next episode. Because when we disrupt the status bro, who knows what might be possible. <laughs>